This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, so glad to be with you. I love First Sundays at the Harbor where we get to celebrate family and honor people's lives through birthdays and honor the beautiful covenant of marriage through anniversaries and just celebrate even a highlighted person in our midst. So what an amazing day so far. And with it being First Sunday, I just want to come and bring a message to you as the body of Christ known as the harbor. Obviously, we're a a microcosm of of a greater macro reality in the world, but this word specifically for a house, if you are gathering with us today online, uh, for the first time, or you're from somewhere else, some other community, welcome. Um, but it just open up your heart and let's see what, what God's going to do today as I share this word um, in this new beginning series that I'm titling Liberation from the Familiar. Now, familiar means to be inti- intimately acquainted with someone or something. And familiarity is not a bad thing. It's, it, it's actually a, a normal part of our everyday lives. We should be familiar. We should be intimate, you know, with people, with, with things, with, with situations. I mean, all of that is normal. But the only problem is, is that when familiarity um, exceeds or supersedes our intimacy with the Lord. So to be familiar is to be intimate. So if that supersedes our intimacy with the Lord, then we've got a problem. And I, and I see that there's a lot lot of passion right now, a lot of people giving themselves over to the things that they really feel in their heart. But I just want to challenge us, like, as we listen to this, could there be any measure of our lives where that familiarity has superseded its place, its proper place in our lives? And so we're going to jump into that because... I believe God's wanting to, to really liberate us today. I think he's wanting to, to take us on a journey, show us some revelation from the word of God. So I'm just going to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit for all that are, that are watching, that are going to be listening to this message later, that, man, God would really speak to our hearts in a profound way. Because as I was studying, there was some stuff that the Lord showed me that was profound. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was, it was extraordinary. That's all I can say. So let me just pray. Father, would you come? And Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? And that's give our hearts, our minds, our ears the ability by the grace of God to see and to hear and to understand. I pray not only would it be simply an intellectual ascent because there's going to be some deep things talked about today but that God it would get down on the inside of us and transform us God from the inside out let your word be as you promised sharp and powerful dividing asunder soul and spirit piercing to the heart of the issue in Jesus name I have a question for you how can we be set free or liberated from something that we don't even know that we need to be liberated from? That's a big question, right? Like how do you get liberated from something, set free from something when you don't even realize that you need to be set free from it? So what I want to do, I want to go back in time on a journey of a new beginning that was taking place uh, 
at the end of Jesus' life around him and some of his followers that I think has profound implications for us if we could see this and if we could hear this today. Now we know that Jesus was a gift from the Father to the world for God so loved that he gave, right? Jesus to the world. And he came to liberate the children of Israel out from under what was, was depicted in the word of God as, as, as this shadow of death that was looming over them. They were, they were covered over in darkness, literally, but they couldn't see that. They couldn't even realize that that's where they were. And at the, at the center of their culture, uh, their city, known as Jerusalem, but not only the city, but the, the area, the nation, actually where, wherever the Jewish Israelites were living in the world, the center of their culture was the temple. And they would have different festivals throughout the year where they would, they would make their way to the temple. And, and once a year, everybody, as, as best they could, would come to, to Jerusalem. And so it's around that time of year when, you know, there, there's the festival, Passover, and and this is where the, the city is just jam-packed. It's filled. It's like the temple, if you will, was at its heightened state, you know, of, of preeminence, like of beauty. And you know, Solomon's temple and then the second temple, I mean, there was a lot of work that was put into this facility, into this building, lots of money, lots of heart, lots of time. And it was something they were very familiar with. It was something that they were very proud of, something that all of, you know, their, their lives on a, on a daily, monthly, weekly, yearly basis revolved around. And so this is what was happening in that time. And we know that there were some problems as it related to things going on in the temple because of how when Jesus made his entry, we'll look at this in just a minute, um, into the city and then he went right into the temple and began to overturn the table. So there was something that was off because the Lord is, is not like a, a man where he, he gets angry unrighteously or, or acts out of his flesh or triggers or anything like that. Jesus was righteously upset with some things that were going on in the temple. Now I want to qualify this because it's very important. There's nothing wrong with buildings or land or, or any type of asset um, that God wants us to utilize as a tool for the movement forward of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom. You know, sometimes we can, because I'm going to give a, a pretty strong word today, but a lot of times we'll just, we'll flip-flop to different extremes. We'll say, oh my gosh, all buildings are bad, all property is bad, all, all, all tools are bad. Like, think about it if you were, you know, needing to dig a ditch and and how many of you know having a shovel is a lot better than using your hands, especially if the dirt is difficult. So God will gift us with things that actually will help us in the journey to bring forth this beautiful gospel to the world. So I just want you to keep in, in mind that basic foundation as we move through this to keep everything in balance, all right? But the, the basic gist of what was going on in the temple is that the system was really broken. It had superseded the ultimate mission that was over the nation of Israel, which was to be a light to the world, a light to the nations. And so it was, it was just broken, and, and Jesus saw that, and so that's why he was moved with great compassion, right? And so just to give context for where we're going to be going here in Matthew 21, verse 12, just a second, it was where Jesus was making his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, and, and, the, and the crowd started shouting, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And he was making his way into the city 
through what was known as the Eastern Gate. Now that's very important and we're going to come back to that at the end. And everyone's asking, who is this? And then the people responded, it is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth. Now I want you to notice that they didn't say he was the son of God. They said this is a Jesus, a prophet, the anointed one um, from Nazareth. And he makes his way after he comes into the city, into the temple. Now that's where we pick it up contextually. Turn with me to Matthew 21 verse 12. It says here that Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people who were buying and selling animals for sacrifice. In fact, after that, he, he knocked over the tables and the money changers and, and, and those who were the, the chairs of those who were selling doves, and, and he was angry, and he, and he drove these people out. And I thought about it like, Lord, why were you so upset? I mean, these were things that were needed in the sacrificial system of that day. I mean, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, been crucified, was bar- wasn't buried yet, risen, and set a whole new uh, system in motion yet. They were still under this system. So why was he upset with them doing what they needed to do? Because again, systems aren't bad. Tools aren't bad. So what was the problem? The problem was is that all of this commotion and, and busyness, which was, wasn't a bad thing at the end of the day, the, the problem was is it was set up in this area of the temple called the court of the Gentiles. Now remember, when Jesus talked about his father's house, and, he, and, and when he referenced that, he wasn't talking about a building, but he was talking about a culture and a concept and, and a calling really over his people as the ecclesia, as the ones who had been called out, who were the lights of the world, if you will, as Jesus was the light of the world, right? He said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. And literally the verbiage, it, it literally reads like this, a house of prayer for the nations to come to. To come to. But there was no way that they could fulfill that desire of the Lord's heart because their space was cluttered with all of this other stuff that the people of Israel had become so familiar with that it superseded the heart of the Lord and they were missing their ultimate purpose. They'd become lights unto themselves and in doing so, they were only shining amongst themselves. I sent out this text today and I, I said, over time, the love of Israel the love Israel had for their temple replaced their love for God. This eradicated their ability to love the nations and thus their light was darkened under a bushel. Wow, think about that for a minute. So when the Bible talks about Jesus coming to that nation because they were under a shadow of death, the shadow of death that was over them was their familiarity with the system that had superseded their familiarity with God. That is a profound thought. And so Jesus with his heart, you remember in Matthew 23, verse 37, he cries out, he has this compassion for this nation, this people that he loves. 
And, he, and, he, and this city that he loves, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones its messengers. You see, people had been coming for, for thousands of years, literally hundreds of years, thousands of years, to try to bring this message. This is what you are called to do. And they would persecute these ones. They would stone these ones. Very interesting language, and, and we're going to see this at the end of my message today. It says, How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her cheeks, chick, sorry, underneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. They were so blinded by their familiarity, even though he was there on the scene to liberate them from their familiarity, they wouldn't allow it. God, help us today as as you speak to us about potential things that have superseded the the rightful place in our lives that, that have gone above and beyond that place that you should hold in our hearts. Because look what he says to them in Matthew 23, 38. He says, and now look, your house. He doesn't even call it the Father's house anymore. He says, your house is abandoned and desolate can you imagine? And, and the problem was, if, if you think about this, look at where his disciples were at in Matthew 24, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples appointed all the various temple buildings to Jesus. You know, they were, they were proud of these buildings, as they should have been. They were, they were familiar with these buildings, as they should have been. But these buildings now had become, you know, such a heightened place in their hearts. They couldn't even see. They couldn't even hear. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 24, verse 2. It's a profound scripture. He says, do you see these buildings? In other words, can you see what I see? Because Jesus had the ability to see into the future. And he said, "I, I tell you the truth, that they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. There was an end that was coming to what they had always known. And they were going to be in inner turmoil during that season. And there's other scriptures we don't have time for this morning that Jesus gave them warnings of this and he tried to prepare them as best he could because he was a loving father. He didn't want them to be confused and lost in the moment when all of this was going to go down. When there was going to be a shift in the way that they related to him. And that unfortunately the protection had been broken that was over their lives from this outside source called the Roman Empire that was going to come and just reap havoc on their way of life, including their temple life. Abandoned and desolate. Think about that. Like a principle here is first in the spirit, then in the natural. They'd already been abandoned and desolate for quite some time. Maybe, I think the the intertestament period, it was like 300 something plus years until Jesus came. There was no word of God that was even being spoken for 300 years. They were already abandoned and desolate. Yet he wanted to rescue them from that. Gather and protect. He wanted to bring them under his wings. Now here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse 39. And this is going to bring us into the bulk of what I want to talk about this morning. And it's going to be deep, so you're going to have to just go there with me. You may have to listen to this message over again a couple of times, all right? But it says in verse 39, he says, I tell you this, you will never see me again. 
And this is important language, until you. So the emphasis on, on an individual. You will never see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Which was prophesied, by the way, by Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9 of the book of Zechariah. Now that's a really interesting scripture because Jesus had already come in the name of the Lord. Or so they thought. The problem was they were still asking, who is this guy? They were celebrating him in that moment, yet days hence they were going to say, crucify him. So there needed to be a personal revelation of like who Jesus was that would capture their heart, that would supersede everything, even the persecution that was getting ready to come upon the church in that day. Nothing was going to move them from their place in their intimacy with the Lord. Not persecution, not possibility or, or promises or potential of, of, of riches or fame or all that kind of stuff. Nothing was going to move them. But up to that point, they were movable. They were shifting, shifting, just like Peter was. Even post-resurrection for a few days till he had that encounter with Jesus at the seashore. Now, this has already happened. He made his way into the city through the eastern gate. Now, there's some key revelation. Just as I begin to wrap this up, there's some key revelation to the significance of the eastern gate in the city of Jerusalem at the time, all right? The eastern gate is the eighth gate of the city. There were eight gates in that time of the city of Jerusalem. It's directly in front of the original Temple Mount site and is located just east of the temple, all right? So on the eastern side, which on the other side of the eastern gate, um, is the, the Mount of, of, of Olives where, you know, this prophetic decree about Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives and, and such. And, and, and right now, just so you know, the temple where it was destroyed, now the Dome of the Rock stands there. And there's actually a Muslim cemetery right on the outskirts of the, of the Eastern Gate. Very interesting. But what's really, what's really profound about this is even in the natural, the, the only gate in the city that is blocked up, that's sealed in, that was done during the Byzantine period in 1810 AD is the Eastern Gate, the Eighth Gate. And, and very profound to think about, it's the only gate that's prophesied that Jesus will enter through at his coming. The question is what coming? Again, remember, he said, you'll never see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now I want to give you some insight here into this eastern gate by going all the way back to Ezekiel. Again, we've got to move fast here, but Ezekiel 44, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then the man, and I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ, is taking Ezekiel on this tour in the spirit of the city of God, which we are a part of as the, as the collective big C church. We are the city of God. We are the tabernacle of his dwelling. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, all right? It says, then the man brought me back to the east gateway in the outer wall of the temple area. But look what he says, but it was closed. Can you imagine that? Like thousands of years before this was shut up in 810 A.D., Jesus already shows him that this is closed. And then the Lord said to me, the gate must remain closed and it will never open again, uh, never again be open. No one will ever open it and pass through it for the Lord God of Israel has entered here. Therefore, it must always remain shut. What he's talking about is, is the initial entrance that Jesus made into the city. 
in his unglorified state. That's never going to be happening again. That gate's going to be closed up. It's never going to be opened up again. It must remain shut. But look at verse 3. He talks about the prince. Verse 3, only the prince himself may sit inside the gateway to feast in the Lord's presence. So he's there inside that gateway waiting And it says at the end, he may come and go through the entry room of the gateway. I thought, wait a minute, I thought it was shut up. But yes, it is, but it can be opened. So how does he come and go through this gate? Now, you got to see the symbolism here, the picture here. There's, there's, there's prophetic implications here. It's, it's imagery for us to understand what God's trying to speak to us. He, he, I, I believe this. I believe we open the mercy gate for him to come in by recognizing his mercy extended to, to us and, and through repentance that happens in that, in that space when we realize the mercy of God. Because this gate was also known as the mercy gate and the repentance gate because there were doorways that came and went through that gate called the door of mercy and the door of repentance. We'll get that that in a minute and remember in psalm 24 7 the psalmist writes this and he's talking about the eastern gate he's talking about our hearts he's talking about what god wants to do in this new covenant reality he says open up ancient gates open up open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter the crazy thing about the sovereignty of the Lord and what he's given over to the church is he's waiting for us to open up the temple, if you will, the, the city, if you will, our hearts at the end of the day to him to come in. Because if you think about this, and I want, I want you to just ponder this for a minute, the literal city of Jerusalem to this day, there's only eight gates, but if you look at the, the city in Revelation, this new city, which is us, which is the church, there's 12 gates. What? Has the city changed? Yes, it has, because it's advanced from eight, from new beginnings, to government, where the people of God begin to rule on the earth so that their lights are no longer hid under a bushel, no longer under a shadow of darkness, but bringing life and life abundantly that God intended for all of creation, for every single person created in his image. My goodness, I could preach on that for a long time. Now Ezekiel, as we wrap this up, he describes this movement that he sees in chapter one, verse eight. He says, under their four wings, talking about this, these angelic hosts, I could see human hands. What? That's exactly what Jesus said. Remember, he mentions crying out for Jerusalem. I wish you could come under where? My wings. And so under the wings of these angels, he could see human hands. Now people were under his wings, They'd come back to that place of familiarity, back to that place of intimacy. And it says that so all of the four beings had had four faces and four wings. And I love the imagery here in verse 10 of chapter 1. It said each had a human face in the front. That's the son of man. Then on the other side there was a face of a lion, the king. And on the right side the face of an ox, a servant. And on the left side the face of an eagle, the, the prophet, and, and these, are, these are the four uh, the, uh, functionalities of the, of the, of the nature and, 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 and uh, personality of God in Christ. And these angelic creatures make two moves. I want you to notice this in verse, chapter 10, verse 18 and 19. It says, the glory of the Lord, what does it do? It moves out from the entrance of the temple. The glory of the Lord is, is no longer 
built, or, or I'm sorry, it no longer just resides in temples made with human hands. It resides in the hearts of men and women. This is where the glory of God resides, on the inside of our frames. We are, collectively and individually, the temple of God's dwelling place on the earth. And so in that time, the, the, t- the glory was going to move out from the temple. There's no longer anything called the Holy of Holies. There never will it be again because your heart is the Holy of Holies. Whew, let me just breathe for a minute. Verse 19, as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple. It makes its way to this place where Jesus is waiting. So it's no longer in the temple It's moved to this new location where Jesus is waiting and it says the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. Now, I said this earlier and this is where I'm gonna wrap this up. The eastern gate, otherwise referred to as the golden gate. Interesting. We have a golden gate bridge in our nation. Access from one piece of land to another, you know, to find the treasure, if you will had two doorways, the doorway of mercy, where I believe he comes, and the doorway of repentance, where he goes. Remember, Ezekiel said he's gonna come and he's gonna go from this place. He's gonna come to us and he's gonna go out from us. He's gonna come and take residence in us and he's gonna flow out of us. Through these two doors, the doorway of mercy and the doorway of repentance. Do we understand the mercy of God? If you're sitting here today, if you're listening to this today, if you're just getting a hold of this message and it's it's coming to your heart today, do you realize that the mercy of God has already visited you if you name the name of Jesus as Lord and your life has been transformed, of course we're all in process, but has been affected from the inside out by this accomplished work of Christ. Do you understand the profound nature of that? I remember when I got saved. I can't explain it. I don't even know how I even came to this understanding, but I remember in the natural just looking around and go, man, God, there was so many other people you could have decided to choose. But you chose me. You selected me. You came and extended your mercy to me. The same was true of the nation of Israel. God had chosen that nation to be a light to the world and they'd become so familiar with their systems and their buildings. Again, none of those things are bad, but they had given themselves over to that and God was like, man, can't you hear me? Because when you've experienced the mercy of God, please hear my heart here. There's a lot of passion right now, a lot of opinions, a lot of voices, a lot of blaming, a lot of casting stones, a lot of pretty, pretty rough conversation. And in all of that, I'm just gonna say it like it is, I don't see people that have come to know the mercy of God. Because when you've come to know know the mercy of God, your soul attention, your soul focus 
is, is going to be first and foremost burning for Jesus. Not for a political party, that's not bad to do. Not for a, a particular issue. Not for something that you feel passionate about. None of those things are bad. I'm just saying, is there a flow where Jesus can come and find you and then move in and through you out to a world to bring real change? Because I believe this. I believe we are the light of the world. We're the hope of the world. Because that's what Jesus was, the light of the world and the hope of the world. He came in and broke them out of darkness which leads to this doorway of repentance. It's where we change the way we think. We come into an encounter with truth and we say, man, my perception, the way I was thinking was completely off. I'm gonna repent. I'm not just gonna be sorry. I'm not just gonna feel bad. I'm gonna change the way I think. As we go back into a time of worship as we conclude our time together today, I want you to think about this. Has anything in your life superseded, taken a place that is not rightfully its place in relationship to your love for God? Is Jesus coming and going through the doorway of your heart in the new beginning he gave you upon salvation to lead you into government. Government meaning the rule of the Father. Eternal reality coming and flowing through you through mercy and repentance. If we need a word right now as the church, it's discover, be in awe of the mercy of God and repent. Jesus is calling us to himself. He's made the moves. He's come out of the temple. He's positioned at the eastern gate. He's sitting there waiting for us to see him again as we say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's not just some prophet. He's the son of God. He's the one who is reigning over the earth. He's the one that has preeminence over all things. He is, he is subduing things on the earth. He's making all of his enemies be positioned under his feet as a footstool through the church. Lord Jesus, come and have your way on the earth. Come and raise up a people of God who know you intimately, who are intimately acquainted with your heart, with your nature, with your ways, with your voice, with your attributes, with your desires, and with your mission. Raise up a bride that will disciple the nations that will bring the light of the glorious gospel to every tongue, tribe, language, people group on the face of the planet. Let the gospel of this glorious kingdom, the rule and dominion of the Father come and be preached so that the desired aim of the Father's heart should come. Lord, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.